Hey there, misfits. This is Kate. And this is Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. After you say the little welcome to, and I'm not going to say the word, but you know what it is. I always am waiting for Nick Davio's um, intro and like musical cue. <laughs> and I kind of had to pause because I'm like, oh, wait, no, I, it's not going to go. That's added later. <laughs> yeah. But I do kind of always like I hear it in my head. Oh, I do too. <laughs> because it's so good. It is. It's really good. Also, Halloween ends. It's going to be out in a few days. What? What are we talking about? Halloween ends? That's a movie? You have to leave. <laughs> Am I confused? What is happening right now? No, like, get the fuck out. <laughs> I'm so confused. Where am I? First of all, you just got fired. Okay. I think I might get it. Halloween, as in the movie franchise has a new movie coming out called Halloween Ends. Was that a question mark at the end of that sentence? Listen, it has been a tough start to the school year. Yes, it was a question mark. I have I don't watch TV. You know this about me. But it's Halloween. Bless. Whatever. You should go ahead and just sign off. <laughs> this is Kale signing off. It's the final Halloween movie. It's not. P.S. No, it it is. It is confirmed by Jamie Lee Curtis herself. Listen, Jamie, you know what I've learned from Elton John, who I'm going to see on Saturday? The farewell tours never end. I do get that, but I'm pretty sure this is it. Follow the yellow brick road to the next Halloween movie called Something That's Not Ends because that's this one. Wow, you are spicy. You are feeling some I, type of way about <laughs> the Halloween franchise. I really am. And I'm just going to say this. I still love you, Kale. Thank you. In spite of the last five minutes. <laughs> bandwidth is low, people. Okay. Speaking of low bandwidth, clearly that's what I had the other day when we actually recorded oh. this episode for the first time. Um. Unfortunately, my microphone, or I'm sorry, my computer did not read my microphone. I It sucked because it was a really good episode, and I felt like mine and Kale's conversation was, was just really on point that night. Mm -hmm. But when I played it back, it was just an audible, and I mean, some words like weren't even... Like you couldn't even hear half of it, which really sucked. Um, I tried everything to save it, but you know what? I just couldn't. And I couldn't put that out because it just, you got, I didn't want to do that to you guys and make you have to like struggle to try to hear. So, and it was even painful for Kate to just bring this up because I don't know if you guys know this reference, but I made the Nina Katz face, which is from Sex and the City. 
Aiden's I just, at, I like just Saturday it. Night Live. I I made that and I kind of made the noise and I was like, oh, here we got it. We got to explain this. But um, if you know that face, that's what I have on my face, which is probably the same face Kate had when I mentioned everything about Halloween ends. And I just didn't look at her face because I was kind of scared of her, to be honest. Well, you should have been. So we decided we would just re-record. So Kaylee has actually heard this episode now. She did. She hadn't heard hadn't. it when we first recorded it. Right. Um, but now she's in the loop and she knows. And now we're going to loop all of you all in. Right. And I didn't know that. I didn't know the name, but I did recognize the face when you said, "Look him up right now" on that yep. original one. And I was like, "Oh, okay." So. Yep. You were like, totally know who that is. Yeah. And first, I was like, "Do we scrap this? What do we do?" But the thing is, like. We want to do justice to this man's family. Absolutely. And if there's any way that our tiny little podcast has a way of helping to find out any information, like we we want to, you know, do it justice. So we're re-recording and you get to experience it with- And I can hear Kate. So Full sound. Great. Yes. <laughs> so if I can hear her, you can hear her. It's going to be, it's, it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's a good story about a, about a person whose, you know, life was cut short because that's basically like, well, but we don't know that his life is cut short. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. See, you know what? That's the thing. It's going to be like, I'm listening to it all over again for the first time because yeah, that's the thing. We don't know what happened to him. Um, so I'm going to start at the end and then I'll loop around to the beginning. So just a few days after he celebrated Christmas with his family, 18-year-old Joe Pickler vanished without a trace. Authorities believe he died by suicide by jumping off a bridge, but his family thinks foul play was involved. Almost 17 years later, there is still no sign of him. Joe was born Joseph David Wolfgang Pickler on Valentine's Day. By the way, one, Valentine's Day. That's very sweet. Oh, pun intended there. Very sweet. You, oh, actually, um, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, um, but what I want to bring up is that Wolfgang name because I think it's fucking rad and so cool and just, I don't know, there's something about it that seems, one, strong. Yes, that is a strong name. And two, just kind of like very mysteriously just savvy, cool. And like badass, yeah. Very badass, yeah. Um, he was born in 1987 and grew up in Bremerton, Washington, which is about 16 miles west of Seattle. Uh, and it's like an hour by ferry or a little longer if you're driving. And close to water? You said bridge, yeah. Close to water. Yeah. And ferry would indicate water. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, That was... <laughs> Special moment we just had. Everybody's so kind of, you know what? It's kind of like Kale is hearing this for the first time, everybody. <laughs> Clearly. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. He was the second youngest of five children. He had a younger brother named Matthew, who actually went by AJ. And I believe all of his older siblings were sisters. There was Samantha, Shauna, and then I couldn't find a name for the third. His mother's name is Kathy Pickler. I did not find any info on his dad, and I still haven't. I don't, Kaylee. I don't know if you um, looked anything up, but I could not find anything on his no, dad. No, just the just the picture. Uh, he began acting at just four years old, and at age six, booked a commercial for a Seattle department store. 
Shortly after, he moved to Los Angeles to pursue his acting career. Now, did he move on his own? Okay, two questions, actually. Yeah. He was the only kind of child actor in his family, right? Yes. Because he had an interest in it or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then did he move to Los Angeles on his own, like like Rebecca Schaefer. Remember, she moved to New York on her own in the Japan. and Right. So he would have been, he was a kid. I want to say like um, nine or somewhere around there. Okay. So someone went with him, but I couldn't find like if it was his mom, if it was an uncle, you know what I'm saying? Because okay. right. he was kind of back and forth from LA and Bremerton. In Washington. Okay. Yeah. So... Like he would go to L.A. to work and to audition and all that stuff. But when he wasn't working, he was back home in Bremerton. And he had so many siblings. Like I don't think that the whole family moved with him. So it was su- there was some guardian. I mean, there would have right. had to been. I'm just not sure who it was. He was So he was out in L.A. He's booking jobs. And when he was about nine years old. Okay, so yeah, a nine. Um, he booked a role on the TV show Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. That's the one with Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher. Yeah, and that was a season or two, a few. I don't. I feel like it was a few, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, he also had a small role in the film The Fan, starring Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes. So I mean, they, I mean, these are like well-known actors. Yeah, like, and he was just a kid. So that's, I mean, that's a huge deal. If you're like a nine-year-old kid, and you're with these huge movie stars, I mean, right. Over the next couple of years, the size of roles he was getting started to increase. He booked a role on Touched by an Angel and then the role of Kyle Moxon in Varsity Blues. The little baby brother. Yep, of James Vanderbeek's character. Fuck it, I'm out. (laughs) I mean, he didn't say that. Um, Mox did, but um, it is the reason that I've seen that movie so many times. And then they play the Foo (laughs) Fighters song after that. And Mm. it's just that scene... That scene gets me. I mean, I could run a marathon thinking about that scene because I can't picture the scene. I mean, but it's also been years since I've seen this movie. I I think the last time you probably watched it was in the woods apartment with me. I was going to (laughs) say, I'm pretty sure it was at Milliken. I feel like I was in the woods. And I and I always crank it up really loud when Mox is about to say in the locker room, fuck it, I'm out because it's just so good. Um, now I feel like I have to go back and watch it. You do. You do. And then obviously because Pickler's in it. Uh, yeah. Oh. After, after researching this, I was like, oh, I want to see him. I, I totally remember him in the, in this movie as the little brother. Yeah. yeah he had a pretty meaty role. Yeah. Um, he also had a leading role in the TV movie when good ghouls go bad, like ghouls like ghosts, which <laughs> starred Christopher Lloyd. But perhaps the films that got him the most attention were the third and fourth Beethoven movies. Um, Beethoven as in the dog. Yep. He played Brennan Newton. Yep. So even though he was seeing a lot of success at a young age, his mom, Kathy, thought it would be good if he moved back to Bremerton full time to finish high school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She just wanted to, she wanted him to have, you know, um, like regular, Regular, quote unquote, regular experience. Yeah. So after he finished shooting a lead role in the film Children on Their Birthdays, um, which was actually shot in and around Chicago. Hey. He reluctantly agreed to move back to Bremerton. He didn't want to go, but because his mom asked him, he was like, okay. Uh, She said, quote, I just wanted him to have some normalcy in his life. He's a good boy and took it well, but he wasn't really happy about it. So he he had a passion for acting. He wanted to do that. Yeah, that's what he wanted to do. And he was already so successful at it that 
it was just like, oh, now I have to go have like to go back to high school, go to school. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which you know can be the best days of our lives and the worst days all in one day. Actually, yeah. so <laughs> I, I, I fully understand this. Yeah, uh, he did graduate from Bremerton High School in 2005. And got his own apartment across town from his family. Independent boy. Okay. Yes. When he turned 18, he inherited his trust fund, which I believe was all the money he had earned as a child actor. Finally, when he turned 18, he was able to oh, right. claim Utilize it or the, whatever. Yeah, yeah, claim it. Okay. Um, also, 2005 seems like sometimes when somebody brings up a date like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, just a couple of years ago. I, and yes. I'm like... Gosh, that he was born in 1987. Like that's that seems that feels like that's it wasn't just like that a decade long. ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He moved into his own apartment, and it wasn't like a situation where he moved out because he resented, you know, his mom for having to move oh, back or anything. Like, no, I took it as like he's independent kiddo yeah. who wanted to show like he was ready maybe to get back into those Hollywood roots or whatnot, and take himself seriously or, you know, show that he can be um, on his own. Yeah. He just wanted some independence. And I mean, also think like he's 18, like that's the, that's all you want to do is get out of your parents' house when you're 18 years old. And I mean, his family wasn't far away. He was always at their house. So they were still close. Um, He just, you know, needed his own space. So his plan was that as soon as he got his braces off, he was going to go back to L.A. to continue his career. Speaking of braces, um, I understand the desire to have something like that kind of removed to make you feel more profesh or whatever. And especially like you're coming into adulthood. And so obviously the roles are going to be different that you're getting. Or that you're, you know, going out for. So I could only imagine like an 18-year-old kid who moved out of his like mom's house with all the siblings to a place on his own Mm -hmm. and he's got braces still because he is still a teenager. How he might feel like, okay, I'm not, I want to go back. I'm so serious about this career path that I could possibly have, but like I've got a mouthful of metal. Yeah. His braces were scheduled to come off just a few months later in 2006. So while he's waiting around for that, he gets a full-time job as a telephone technician at a company called Teletech. Oh, like seriously, very serious about having his own responsible. He was responsible. Yeah. And I mean, he was just being a teen, like any other teen, he had a job. He loved Mexican food. Same. Uh, yeah. He, this is weird because we, I think, I think it was just the last episode that we brought this up. He loved going to Jack in the Box. Oh, Jack in the Crack. Or Jack in the Crack, as you would say. <laughs> it's funny. He had a pet guinea pig named Booby. Because, of course, a teenage guy names his guinea pig Booby. That, I was going to say, that's an 18-year-old for you, Booby. Although... It's kind of, well, you know what's funny about that word is I still, uh, oh my God, can you see? I'm getting red. I'm like, I get, <laughs> I, I get, I get like a little, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's fun. Just say it, booby. <laughs> booby. <laughs> We're 12. Um, obviously, obviously. He also loved playing the card game Magic the Gathering, which oh, yeah. I had mm-hmm. never heard of before, but. You were saying. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Um, Magic the Gathering is like what D&D was like. D&D, I think, maybe even came out early seven or like later 70s or maybe before. I don't know. But anyway, it was very big in the 80s. 
mm-hmm. obviously not a stranger things right now because they're kind of like resurfacing yeah. that. But my cousins play D&D. And then one of my, the students uh, that I know, um, he was kind of getting into that Magic the Gathering. So I, I feel like it kind of got got bigger like after that D&D era. But now D&D is kind of getting an era again um, because of the Stranger Things thing. But. Yeah, I had no idea like anything about this game. Um, but it, I mean, it's got, well, as of 2018, it had over 35 million players. Oh yeah. And it's best to do in groups and it's like, because you all have these roles and and whatnot and it's best to, I mean, people, so they have these groupings and then they play against other people sometimes. And so it's a whole thing. That's a million. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure it's only grown since then. So that was a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah like a lot of teenagers his age he's also like starting to experiment with alcohol i mean i did the same at that age but by all accounts he was considered a good kid like he stayed out of trouble i say kid but he's technically an adult at this oh, point oh right yeah oh it's hard 18 i know cuz that still seems so young that Christmas, 2005, he spent it with his family, as per usual. Uh, he did go out with a friend later that day, but um, for the most part, it was like Christmas as usual. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. And this is 2005, right? Yeah. The same year that he graduated. Oh, right, right, right. So it's back home. So he's back home now. Yeah. Uh, his sister, Shauna, said she didn't sense any signs of depression or anything like that. She said he just seemed really eager to go back out to L.A. once his braces were off. Like, that's what he was waiting for. Uh, Just a few days after New Year's, Joe hung out with a group of friends. Some articles state he went to a friend's for this hangout. Some state he was the one hosting it and that it was at his place. That is what's so frustrating about this case. There are discrepancies about so many things, like from the date the hangout occurred. Some say it was the 3rd. Some say it was the 4th of January. Some say it was at a friend's house. Others say it was at his house. Like, but wouldn't you know, if you were one of the friends, wouldn't you know when you were there? No, I'm seeing some of these reports that came out. It's oh, oh, different oh, oh, articles. Oh, oh. oh yeah, right. Okay. Different facts, okay. you know, quote okay. unquote facts. Yeah. Um, and then and then there's the police in- investigation, which is like a whole other mess of what the fuck. So hmm. we'll get into that. Um, what we do know, though is that Joe and this group of friends hung out, they drank some beers, they played cards. In what I found, it just said played cards, but I'm guessing it was that Magic the Gathering game. Probably, yeah. And they seemed to have a good time. His friends that were with him that night said he was in good spirits. Around 2.30 a.m., Joe reportedly drove two of the friends home, and the other two drove themselves. Less than two hours later... Joe's cell phone was used to call Justin, one of the friends he had driven home earlier. Okay. I'm using the name Justin because it is the name listed in uh, one news article that I read. Oh, article. Yeah. But his name isn't used anywhere else. uh, And we'll talk about that in a bit. And according to Justin, Joe had been in good spirits and his behavior was, quote, normal. So like whatever that, you know, whatever normal was for him. But. Justin said Joe's mood changed when the night ended and everyone left. So he had, he was presumably having an 18 year old time mm-hmm. with these friends. He, um, you know, people were starting to wrap up the game or the the night. Yeah. He was going to drive a couple of friends home. Mm-hmm. His mood changed though, when everyone was going to leave. Like it became somber or what? Justin said that he, yeah, seemed upset. He said that... Joe called him and told him that 
he was crying. He didn't know why he was crying. He couldn't stop drinking. Justin said that Joe was inconsolable. And Joe asked him to stay up for the next hour because he was going to call him back. So Justin was like, okay, sure. But that call never came. Joe was never seen or heard from again. From that night. Yep. And this is where things start to get frustrating and a little confusing because... As I was saying, different articles state different timelines. So the last call made from Joe's phone was to Justin at 4.08 a.m. January 5th. Oh, and uh, the friends were allegedly dropped home around 2 a.m.? 2.30. So there was a phone call. Mm 2.30, okay. All we know is that it came from Joe's phone, but the only person who can tell us that it was Joe calling him is Justin. So when Joe's family was unable to reach him, they thought that was weird, obviously, and started trying to track him down. So there's an article posted by someone claiming to be a friend of the family. I'll just put this out there. This is on websleuths.com. So take that for what it's worth. It's a Mm -hmm. user-based forum. So just know that. This family friend states that they are just acting on the family's behalf to get information out there because Joe's mom, Kathy, didn't feel like the police were doing a very good job. According to this friend, I don't have a name for the friend. There was there was like a screen name, but I don't have an actual name for this person. Uh, and again, this is on WebSleuths. So take it, take it as you take it. Yep. When Kathy hadn't heard from Joe, she asked her youngest son, AJ, like, hey, can you stop by your brothers? So AJ goes over there. And he said when he got there, all the lights were on and the door to the apartment was unlocked. But Joe was not there. So something so something was probably off or or n- out of the ordinary. Definitely out of or- the ordinary. Okay. Neighbors confirmed that the lights were on and the door was unlocked. And they said that was very unusual. They said Joe never left without, you know, turning, every- like shutting everything down. Um, and I don't know how neighbors confirmed that the door was unlocked because they would have to have, like, tried to open it, which seems odd. So it, I don't know if it was a jar or what, but they said that the, right. for sure the lights it, were on. Okay. AJ waited at the apartment for about an hour, but Joe didn't show up. So he eventually left. And when he did, he turned out the lights and he locked the door behind him. When AJ told his mom that Joe wasn't there, Kathy decided to go by Joe's work. And that's when she found out that he hadn't shown up for work the night before. Oh, yeah. According to this person on Web Sleuths, AJ then called Justin to help with the search. Justin came right over and drove AJ. It's I don't think anyone else went with him. I think it was just Justin and AJ. I remember us discussing this, but for some reason I was thinking there was his sister was involved or something. Because uh she does come to the scene and I was there's an interview that we'll talk about. Okay. Yeah. So AJ said that Justin made a few turns and then seemingly drove straight to where Joe's car was parked, which was behind the Mexican restaurant Taqueria Los Cazadores at 2805 Wheaton Way in Bremerton. So he like drove in a different way, like, and then went by this restaurant or? No, AJ seems to be saying that Justin knew right where the car was. Oh, all right. I was thinking, I was thinking maybe he was trying to like distract or like kind of like drive all over the place and then end up in this spot. But really he 
Really? He just took a couple of turns and then went straight there. there. Got it. Got it. So this seems to be the point where police get involved. Joe's sister does confirm in an interview that it was AJ that found the car. And Joe drove a 2005 silver Toyota Corolla. Corolla. So it was practically brand new. It was a 2005. Um, I'll post a link to the interview with a sister. She mentions a black glove that was on the ground next to the driver's side door. But at the time, they didn't think anything about it. So mm-hmm. no one pointed it out to the police. No one grabbed it. I mean, it's good they didn't grab it because could have messed up any kind of evidence. But right. they didn't think to point it out. And police apparently didn't notice it, which seems to be a running theme in this case. The police mm. just don't really do a super thorough job. Police said the car appeared to be, quote, undisturbed. Like no broken windows and... No broken windows. In fact, the car was locked. Oh. Um, it didn't look like anything was out of the ordinary. Unlike the apartment door. Correct. Okay. So one thing they did find inside the car was two pages of poetry and what appeared to be some random thoughts jotted down. That Joe wrote. That are, that are, that are on these papers in this car. Got it. So one thing that was written was that Joe said he wished he was a, quote, stronger brother and that he willed his belongings to his little brother, AJ. Now, when police read this, they immediately felt that it was a suicide note. But Joe's family did not feel that way. They said there was no goodbye in the note. And AJ said it sounded to him like Joe was wanting to start over. Not sure what that means. Mm. Police also floated the idea that Joe could have run away, but again, his family just didn't believe that's what happened either, and neither do I. They said that just wasn't in his character. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to be. I mean, this is the you know child actor who you know wanted his braces off and wanted to get back to kind of his passion, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, he had you know a goal, and again, like we cannot say what goes through someone's head when they're at you know, various points in their life. Right. But his family felt pretty certain that he did not die by suicide, nor did he run away. And one idea that was floated was that he ran away to California to get back into acting, which makes no sense. No. One, because he needs his braces off. But two, um, not needs, but he wanted them right. off. But two, because why he would have just told somebody. Yeah. Like, I mean, his family was supportive. It wasn't like a right. secret that he was planning to go back. So Joe's family believed he was met with some sort of foul play. By like people he knew or just random or? I don't think they had any thought of like who might have done anything. Okay. They just thought something, something had happened. Something was foul. Yeah. Play. So Robbie Davis, the Bremerton police detective, said he didn't think it was foul play because he couldn't find one person that had anything bad to say about Joe. But it's like. Okay, that doesn't you don't mean have to, that he, to think that right. Yeah, he, he something still could have happened. Um, Was he just trying to like dismiss the case or like make it, things easier for himself? Or at that point, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how early on that was, but yeah, it just that's such a weird thing to say. Like that's a weird reason to give. Um, unfortunately, Joe's car was never fully processed for evidence. Police did not take fingerprints or try to get really anything that could be used to get DNA. So as I said, his car was locked when they found it. And inside his cell phone, driver's license, and a small amount of money were found. There was clean laundry in the passenger seat. 
And the note was said to be like the two pages of poetry. The pa- of poetry. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was said to be buried in and found in the passenger seat. So it sounds like it was probably underneath those clothes or the laundry. Uh, what was missing were his keys and his wallet. So then I was thinking, okay, he's at a Mexican restaurant. He loves Mexican food. Maybe he thought it was like going to be open all night. And if he had been drinking, like, you know, maybe he wasn't thinking. Disoriented a little bit or something. Yeah. And which he shouldn't have been driving if he were, but just saying. I mean, yeah, don't drink and drive. Um, So maybe like he was just like, I'm just going to run in. I'm going to get a little food, grabs his, you know, takes his keys, grabs his wallet. Right. Locks the door, you know. And that's that. And then maybe something like when I first started researching this, I was like, maybe something happened to him when he was trying to get into the restaurant or like walking through the parking lot or something. Did did this town, what was this town called again? Bremerton. Um, Bremerton. Does it have it? Did you ever, did you look it up and to see if there was any kind of other weird, like mysterious murders or how big it is or like, just, just curious, you know, like if let's actually, let's see, we'll do it on this. Also, I, I'm going to take these off. I can't see. Like, it's so dark in here. Now it's getting dark and I didn't turn the light on. So I started to say, like, it's got really creepy on your end. Yes, it is. And I'm like, I mean, I don't need to see myself, but I kind of need to see other things. And I need to turn the light on. So Bremerton is like a city grade. They got a B- minus for schooling, a C- minus for housing, a C okay. for crime and safety, and an A for diversity, A minus for nightlife. So it sounds like... I just wondered if there was some kind of weird thing going on. Not that I read. There wasn't like a killer on the loose or anything like that. That's what made it so weird is that like there just wasn't anything. There are no witnesses to say that they saw him, you know, at the Mexican restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's no one saying like they saw him walk to the bridge like there's just nothing according to this person on web sleuths again police immediately released the car to the family they didn't feel the need to look any further into it police then went to joe's apartment to look around and joe's sister shauna went with them and she said the police only looked around for about three minutes and then reported that the apartment was quote fine they decided it was probably death by suicide they decided those pages were a suicide note. Can you have a death record um, when a body hasn't surfaced from suicide? So there is a process of trying to prove a death without a body. And I guess there's like a lot of red tape you have to go through. It can Mm. take months or even years before you can prove the death and therefore get a death certificate. Wow. Okay. Well, now we know there's a process. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was just wondering, like, I know, I know it's, they're not, that's not their final say, like the death recording and the certificate or whatnot of like what the police's job is. But I don't know. I just felt like there's got to be something more to this than them just being like, okay, well, saw the apartment, saw the car, don't see a body. So I mean, unfortunately, I think that is what they did. I think they just decided to conclude that. And it also doesn't sound like they had to deal with something like this before or had much experience with it. Okay, right. So they just didn't really know how to investigate. Mm-hmm. So the family did find Joe's inhaler 
uh, I think at his apartment. Okay. And said that he always had that on him. So it would be weird for him to leave it behind. Which he had his, his phone. He had to have his keys because there was a car and some money, some cash. Mm-hmm. So Joe was allergic to a lot of things, dust mites, okay. cats, dogs, birds, a lot of allergens you would find outside. So it's weird that he did not take the inhaler with him. Something that he always had with him. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. That's interesting. Kathy Pickler, Joe's mom, stated that police told her that Joe had likely jumped from a nearby bridge into the Port Washington Narrows, dying by suicide, and that it would take months for his body to show up. But she didn't believe that herself. This is police telling her, this is what we've concluded. Exactly. This is probably what happened. In a few months, the body might And it sounded like they did it pretty bluntly, like they just called her up and were like, yeah, so I think he jumped and uh, it's probably, you know, his body will probably float up in a couple months. Uh Like it was kind of like that. The police deny ever saying this to her. So that's like blase without any empathy or something. Yeah. No, they deny ever even saying that they told her he likely jumped and that it would take months for his body to show up. Yeah. They just deny that whole conversation, which is odd this poor mom and like the thing is is that she's probably just like i just want to know what happened to my kid my baby yeah i mentioned port washington narrows that's a three mile channel that separates bremerton into east and west and they're connected by two bridges uh the warren avenue bridge and the manette bridge so i looked at a map of this area just to get an idea of like where his car was found in relation to the water to his apartment etc and like the mileage or that yeah. or how long it would take somebody to get there or whatever. Yeah. So his car was found at that Mexican restaurant at the intersection of Sheridan Road and Wheaton Way. It's a really busy intersection. It's surrounded by houses and businesses. And where the car was parked would make it visible from two directions. I feel like if he did get out and was kind of wandering around, like even though it was the middle of the night, I feel like someone would have had to see him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where the car was would put him closer to the Warren Avenue Bridge as opposed to the Manette Bridge. Okay. Then looking at his location in reference to the Warren Avenue Bridge, he would have to walk about a half a mile to get to where the bridge would be over water. Which, if he'd done this, would not have been a bad walk. I mean, it's only half a mile. I searched the weather history. Um, It was 50 degrees out around 4 a.m. on January 5th, 2006 which is around the time he is believed to have gone missing. It was not raining. And this is Washington where it rains a lot. So it was not raining. Winds were only five miles per hour. So a half a mile would not be a bad walk. Right. But the thing that strikes me about that, if you were planning to jump off a bridge, why not just drive to the bridge? Right. Have your keys and your phone. And I don't know. That just... Yeah, he left his phone. Well, the phone was in the car. The keys were missing and the wallet was missing. Unless you're trying to make it look a certain way. But even then, that doesn't even make sense. Also, if he did, in fact, drive to this Mexican restaurant, park his car, get out and walk to the bridge with the intention of jumping, why did he take his keys and wallet and leave the other items? Why did he need his wallet? Yeah. like... There are just a lot of things that don't add up about that theory. Again, we can't know what's going through a person's head when they're, you know, at that point. Um, But it just seems odd. 
And also the restaurant where his car was parked was just one mile from his apartment, which was located at 2000 Magnuson Way. Now, it's possible he left his house, was upset for whatever reason, pulled into the restaurant's parking lot, made that phone call to Justin at 4.08 a.m., decided to get out, go for a walk maybe, ended up at the water, and then impulsively made the decision to right. end his life. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Yeah. But that theory just doesn't sit right with me. I looked up the Warren Avenue Bridge and I found an article by the Kitsap Sun, which is a local newspaper there, because I just wanted to find out like, you know, how many people have tried jumping off the bridge? What, you know, how many deaths have they had? Like, I just want to get yeah, some like statistics. Yeah, like if you were to look that up for the Golden Gate, you were going to, you're going to get a lot of statistics yes. about things like that. The Kitsap Sun reported on someone jumping off the bridge um, and he was hurt, but he lived. And then I started reading comments. Um, I think it was on one of the papers, like social media pages. And all these people were saying that, yeah, it's not really a bridge you jump off of with the intention of suicide. Like they were saying people jump off of it as like a dumb, like a dumb dare oh, or a dumb thing to do, you know. But That you can likely swim away from or that you, if you do, you might have some injuries, but you're not, death probably wouldn't. Exactly. Prevail, like, like it wouldn't be a strong enough impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it could or couldn't. Right. But right. just like based on people's comments, it seems unlikely. So police sent search dogs out to the area leading up to the bridge and around the bridge, and they did not detect Joe's scent. I'm going to go back to this person, this family friend on Web Sleuths. So far, everything I've mentioned is information that has been reported publicly, but this person brings up some other interesting pieces of info, and I have not been able to find it corroborated anywhere, so I want to put that out there. But nevertheless, some names are mentioned that do come up in reports elsewhere. That are public. Of the friends uh, like yes. that he was playing with or something? Yes. Okay. So if I say someone's name, it's because it's already out there. This person states that when the police released Joe's car to the family, Joe's uncle drove it to the Pickler home. And when they got there, the family noticed that there was clearly what looked like vomit on the floorboard of the passenger side. Oh. Yeah. Did they test the vomit? No. Police did not. In fact, police tried telling the family that there was no vomit. What? Yeah. Okay. They also noticed that there were a bunch of Magic the Gathering cards strewn about the car and that Joe's most valuable ones were missing. When they searched the apartment, they found more Magic the Gathering cards scattered around his bedroom closet. And again, his most valuable were missing. Like somebody might have taken them or something? I mean, it seems likely or maybe he had them with him or who we don't yeah know. we don't know okay that's the thing we don't know i know nothing of this card game um and when i was mentioning it to matt like i was telling him about this case he was like oh yeah the game was huge like he was telling me all about it he's like yeah some of those cards man there were thousands and i was like what i looked it up and one of the like i guess the most valuable one um it sold for over half a million dollars. Oh, gosh, I need one of those cards. Yeah, we could all use some of those cards. <laughs> I mean, some of them are worth nothing. They're like worth pennies. But 
Yeah, others are worth thousands of dollars. And it sounds like Joe did have some pretty have valuable, some ones. valuable ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and clearly, okay, so his gathering people, his friends mm-hmm. that probably presumably played this game, they're going to know which ones are the valuable ones. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, not that I'm like putting. Right, right. Accusing. I mean, we're not like yeah. accusing anyone or anything, but, or anything like, but I just. Yeah. So Joe's family reported the vomit in the car and the missing magic cards to police, but those items never made it into the police report. And police never processed the apartment for blood or fingerprint evidence, nor did they test the remaining magic cards for fingerprints or DNA evidence. And no, they never tested the vomit in the car for DNA. Of course. But you would think you would think that is one thing that they would tell. Like they can say, nope, apartment looks good. Oh, no, no broken windows on the car. But we do need to test this vomit. It just seems like why not test it, you know? Right. We were I, this came up in the Patrick McDermott case because when that hat was found and they sent it to be tested and they were like, "Oh, uh, no, it's not worth testing." And they sent it. It's like, "Why not just test not? it?" I don't I don't yep. understand that. Like, wouldn't you want to do the most thorough job? You would think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's frustrating. So when questioned about this about not testing these things, Robbie Davis, that detective, said, quote, I believe the crime scene investigators processed the car for fingerprints, but couldn't say for sure because I was only in the office Monday and didn't have the investigators report handy. Um, okay. <laughs> Wait, but that's your job. Like, right? Uh, just odd. Can you imagine just like being so like nonchalant about something on that a missing ha- could person? A, this like this kid, essentially. I mean, he's a teenager. Right. I want to talk a little about the friends he was with the night he disappeared. As I mentioned earlier, there are some names listed on that web slew site, but also in newspaper reports. So I started searching those names and a lot of these kids grew up together. Like, Oh yeah. Cause it's a small town, right? Brimerton yeah. not a huge place. Yeah. So they went to middle school together, then high school. Right. So they're, they're going to know each other kind of through and through. Yeah. And it's like all one big friend group. Of course, Joe was back and forth because he was working in L.A. a lot of the time. Uh, But one of his friends, her name was Cammie Walsh at the time, but she could be going by a different name now if she got married. Uh, She gave an interview saying she'd known Joe since seventh grade. She said, when we were younger, he was known as the movie star. But as we got older, he was known for his spunkiness. Which I don't really know what that means, but okay. Um, but she did hang out with Joe a lot, and what? Oh, I was just gonna say, but if you think of that Varsity Blues um, little brother, that kid was kind of spunky. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I like, I don't know. Maybe that's what she meant. I don't know. It's a weird quote. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Yeah, I don't understand it. Uh, She did hang out with Joe a lot. And one article stated that they had actually dated at one point. Um, So I mentioned that on Christmas 2005, he went to a movie with a friend. The friend, yeah. yeah, With Cammie Walsh. Yeah. Okay. But they weren't dating. They they weren't weren't dating at that time time that I'm aware of. Um, So I think they were just hanging out as friends. Okay. You know, everybody has these like love triangles and whatnot. Like they date when they're younger, right. like junior high, and then they're friends when they're high school. Yeah. Um, they went to go oh. see the producers. That was uh, the movie they saw on Christmas. Matthew Broderick? Yep. That was, and it okay. came out on Christmas yep. Day. So that's what they went to see. Okay. Uh, then she says she saw him a few days after that and then nothing. So just keep that in your brain. She's not listed as one of the people that was at the group hangout. 
so it's unclear when she last saw Jill. Okay. So we know definitely Christmas because she admitted to that. Yes. And she but... also said uh, a few days after that. Oh, okay. Okay. And also, like, we say admitted to that. But, like, we're not saying, yeah. No, but she expressed that she had gone to a movie with him. He expressed it. Yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, this family friend on Web Sleuths. I'm sorry I just keep saying it that way, but I just don't have a name for this person. And I also just want to reiterate that it is on Web Sleuths. So we have to take that for what it's worth. <laughs> They list the names of four people who were supposedly with Joe the night he disappeared. Cammie is not on that list. Justin is, however. He was the one that, uh, like I said, Joe's cell phone called after mm-hmm. the party broke up. Uh, and he was the last person reportedly that Joe dropped off. Right. At 2.30-ish. Yeah. Is he, did he, is he also the one that said that his demeanor had changed? Yes, he's that one. Okay. Yeah. So his last name is not mentioned anywhere, so I won't list it here, but I did look up the 2005 graduating class of Bremerton High School. Oh, look at you. And there's only one Justin listed. And ironically, it's right next to Joe's name on the class list. Oh. So so, I'm not saying for certain it's the same Justin. I'm just saying I only found one Justin. Right. Justin lived in an apartment with a guy named Jesse at Jesse's parents' house. Got it. So Jesse is not one of the four Four listed in in the group. Yeah. Supposedly, Joe had dropped Justin off at that home with Jesse Mm -hmm. after the party broke up. Before the Mexican restaurant. Yep. Mm -hmm. And had already dropped off another friend before him, which would make the home of Justin and Jesse the last last place that Joe was seen. Yeah. Jesse said... He did see Joe in the home, but then he changed his story several times on how and when he saw him, and that home was never searched by police. So when he dropped off, he may have gone inside the home. Possibly. Or may have not. Okay. Yeah. The thing is, we don't know. We don't know. We're not getting a lot of information from the friends, and the police aren't really investigating. Interesting. Yeah. And I will just say, Jesse is pretty easy to find online. And is doing quite well and still lives in that area. Justin, however, can't find a single thing on him. Yeah. Months after Joe's disappearance, Justin comes out and says that the note found in Joe's car wasn't a suicide note. That he and Joe had actually been writing poetry together earlier that night. And then another report states that when Joe or that Joe had recited the poetry to Justin and asked him to write it down. Did they analyze the writing, like the handwriting? So this is what's so frustrating because that was my first thought too. Of course not. Do you think they analyzed any of this shit? I mean, as the story is going on, it's clear that no, no, and no, they did not do that. I don't know if his family confirmed that it was Joe's handwriting or not, because we just don't have that information. Mm-hmm. I, it is peculiar that Justin, months after all of this, but while, you know, it's still getting attention, and he was interviewed twice, actually, um, Justin was. It's just interesting that, like, after a few months, he's like, oh, you know what? That's not a suicide note. Um, we wrote it together. <laughs> yeah. It's something that you might as well come out at the time of 
being asked or whatever. And then he comes out and says, oh, Joe actually recited it to me and I wrote it down. So I'm not saying Justin had anything to do with Joe's disappearance. Like, that's not where we're saying. Right. But why But why would you just come out? I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't ever had a friend like vanish or disappear or anything like this. But it just seems like I would want to say everything I could remember right then and there to anybody who would listen. One would think. Um, especially police. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be holding anything in. Right. Because I don't know. That's just us. It makes me wonder, like, was Justin concerned that maybe his handwriting was on the paper and someone might think he had done something? Oh. So. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So then maybe he just felt like he needed to clear the air or something. Or like, it's I, all that's weird. not a good way of saying it, but yeah. It's all weird. Um, again, we're not accusing anyone here. We're just trying to talk this thing out and figure it out. So six months after Joe vanished, a candlelight vigil was held at the location where his car was found. Cami Walsh, who I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. Nicole Turpak and Kelly Bork, all friends of Joe's, were in attendance at the vigil and helped the Pickler family set up. They spoke to a reporter there and said that they basically had lived at Joe's apartment the past year. Which makes sense if you've got a friend who has an apartment and you're... Oh, yeah. That's where you're going to hang out, obviously. Yeah. They said he was really caring. They called him the peacemaker because he was just drama-free and just a really compassionate guy. So Nicole said, quote, I hope he just shows up one day and says, I was just on vacation. And Cammie said if he returns, quote, we'll give him a big hug. And then she jokingly said, and then we'll punch him. You know, kind of like, like. This sounds like very, yeah, like friendly, like obviously a big hug, huge hug, right? But like you've got that little, I guess, banter or something. And like there's just like that inkling of hope maybe. Yeah, yeah. Still feels like weird comments to me, but. Uh, according to the family friend on WebSleuths, at one point, Cammie Walsh went to the Pickler home to visit Joe's mom, Kathy. Okay, so they had some sort of relationship because she'd known them for so long. Yeah, yeah. And while she was there, she mentioned that she and a friend had gone to where Joe's car was located because they wanted to remove some items that might have embarrassed Joe or his family, but that police had already found it. The items? Like the car? Okay. So Kathy said, well, how did you know where the car was located? To which Cammy had no response. What is what could be in there that seems shady? Well, and who was the friend that went with her? She said she right. and a friend went. So that's at least two people who knew where the car was before the family did. Oh, that's prickly. That's like prickly. Well, the police had already found it. So the the family did know where the car was at that point. But how did the friends know? Yeah. Yeah. Then Carrie admits that she had a second set of keys to Joe's car. Again, this is according to the family friend on WebSleuth. And nothing is ever really elaborated on about that. Like, we don't know why she had a second set of keys. We don't know Kathy's reaction to that. So that it's just a weird so wait, thing. Does she does she tell Kathy that when she sees her that she had a second set? Yes. When they're at this meeting at her house. Oh. So I think because she had mentioned that she went to the car to try to get stuff out of it, it, it was that kind of like thing like, oh, well, I need to 
also mentioned like how I would have been able to get into the car. Like, oh, right. Because you know, the keys. Yeah. Yeah. So again, all weird. MySpace plays a big role in all this. MySpace. Hey, Tom. That feels so long ago. Like it it feels ancient. It does feel ancient. But like if I had my choice of medias right now, I think I would still choose MySpace. It was still pretty popular at this time. Oh, yeah. Like 2000s. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, all of them had MySpace accounts, you know, and- And they're in their top eight. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about the top eight. Yeah. I, I can barely remember MySpace. But one of the people that hung out with Joe on his last night was Kelly. It's unclear if this is the same Kelly that was at the vigil, Kelly Bork. Mm. But according to independent investigators, Kelly sent a message to a friend, and this is all on MySpace, saying she was nervous about going to Joe's that night because the friends were planning something and they were being, quote, sketchy and weird. What? So Kelly's never been asked to explain this message. I know that we did this, but I don't remember even that part. Kelly felt off about something because friends were like planning something. Yeah. What the hell? Like that's so shady. And the thing is like police just didn't seem to care. They never asked her to explain it. It was never investigated. Nothing. How do you not inquire about that more? Bremerton police never got a warrant to search any of the private messages of the people Joe was with before he disappeared. Mm. Nor did they retrieve the cell phone records or messages of any of those people. Like just basic things that right. seem like, uh, it's like this this case drives me crazy. Well, it's because- also like, I feel like it's a common, I would think, okay, well, you need to trace the phone. You need to do this. You need to like look at that. Right. It just seems like, like so obvious. So obvious. Like I'm not a, I am I am not a pathologist for like murder uh, or, or crimes or anything like that. Like forensics. Is it interesting? Sure. But like, I feel like I know the, you know, basics, shady shit basics. It feels like police had made up their mind. They were only gonna, you know, accept things that would support their theory right. of suicide and anything that deviated from that. They were just like, we don't have time for it. That's we're this isn't what happened. Case closed. So really, really aggravating. Um, The only one interviewed of that group that hung out that night was Justin. He was interviewed at least twice. None of the other friends were interviewed. None? None. Hmm. Detective Robbie Davis mentioned, sorry, Detective Robbie Davis monitored Joe's MySpace account after his disappearance just to see if maybe Joe would get on. Okay, at least there was that. I mean, at least. (laughs) He wanted to see, like, what his friends were saying about him, anything that could give him clues. Sure. Cammie Walsh was one of the most active on his MySpace. She said, quote, I want him to know I miss him. And she would often post, like, pictures and just random thoughts. Okay. Kathy Pickler said she totally understood why Joe's friends were posting, um, even though, like, so much time had passed. She said that she knew it was their way of holding out hope. And that's really, you know, as much as she thought about that. Sure. Sadly, as time has gone on, though, there's been less and less coverage. And I did read that the police eventually changed the report from suicide to missing endangered teen. But Detective Davis was quoted as saying he's gone. He's vanished. 
all of it is very blunt and just. Uh. So Joe's sister, Shauna, said, quote, people say it gets easier with time. I guess that's true when you know where the person is. Yeah. The worst feeling out of all of this is the alone feeling. After time goes by, the press stops, people move on. But for us, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. Because there's been no closure. There's exactly they, there's no body. There's really no hard evidence or facts of one thing or another because there was a lack, honestly, like there was a lack of um, thorough research and right. I feel like they just decided to throw in the towel. I mean, the whole investigation was botched. Right. Like they released the car. They even let the family like go in and take mementos from Joe's apartment. Like had there been evidence in there like all of that all, yeah was destroyed right you know tampered and i mean not tampered in a way where it's like it's just because people are putting their own fingerprints on the artifacts that they're taking right. and so now it's there's nothing really left to to yeah you know and his mom said quote we still have no resolution right. i struggle to get through each day without answers as to the whereabouts of my missing son i think Someone out there knows something. They'd have to. Yeah. When I first started researching this, you know, I mentioned like, okay, maybe he just, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time at that restaurant and like. Could be. Sure. I mean, if that is the case, then that person knows something. But the further I delved into it, I was like, no, something else happened to him. Like somebody knows who knows him. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I don't have any hard evidence. But I do think people that were in his circle at that time, especially those who were with him the last night he was seen, know something. I mean, when you are the last person or persons to see someone, what what happened that night? What did you talk about? Right. Or at least knows more of something. Like, mm -hmm. I just feel like there wasn't, there's not a lot out there, it seems, uh, on on the end of this story, per se. Yeah. It's like one, like a little bit here and a little bit that. It's almost like, like a carrot dangling. Yeah. We get a little bit of something, but there is more to that something. I have my theory as to what happened, which we talked about. A little after we stopped recording. Like like kind of a love triangle thing or something. I Didn't I bring up that or something? I don't know. Well, yeah, that maybe there was, maybe someone is trying to protect someone. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we did. And to do that. that, they're trying to cover something up. One thing that sticks out to me is the quote unquote suicide note, which then Justin said wasn't, that it was just poetry they were writing together. Like, Yeah, that's just odd who, in itself. Whose handwriting is that in? Why is it placed under this laundry? And also, what's the motive now? Like, if one, protection-wise, two, right. why, why someone would up and vanish and disappear like they did? Like, there's just so many unresolved motive barriers, I would call it. Like, I, I can't, like... And the thing is, like, all of these people are in their mid-30s now. So they're grown-ass adults. Many of them were uh, technically adults at the time this happened. Mm -hmm. If they know something, which someone has to know something, why are you still protecting someone? Right. Give this family closure. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like you would have a conscience also at the same time. If you knew something, wouldn't you feel some sort of weird 
awful guilt that you couldn't get rid of. Exactly. That will eat away at you. And I mean, some of the comments made by the friends seem, and again, we we can't judge how someone grieves. Of course. And I can't and don't want to put myself in these shoes, to be honest. Like I, I don't Absolutely wish this not. on anyone, right? Like I don't wish no. anyone's friend to disappear or something happened to them. I, I, I don't want these things happening, right? Yeah. So who knows? Like how, I mean, I can't predict how I would react, but I would hope that I would be able to say, everything I knew about that something. Yeah. I mean, was he drugged? Yeah, that could be something too. So that he could be robbed and then like, you know, it went a little too far. Like, we don't know. Was he even the one who drove his car to the restaurant? Mm. I'm not sure he was even the one who drove his car, nor am I sure that he actually placed that phone call. A call was made. That's true. But who's to say that Joe was on the other end of it. Yeah, that's true. The whole thing gives me weird vibes. And like I said, Justin, if if it's the Justin that I think it is based on the class mm-hmm. list, you cannot find him anywhere. I mean, I did a little a little deep digging. So what I did find was that he's still in that area, but I could not find a social media account for him. The last social media account that was listed for him on this like deeper check that I did was MySpace. MySpace. Hmm. And I don't know if he's using a different name. I just thought it was interesting because I didn't have much trouble finding the others. I just put in a name and I was able to come up with stuff. And that's not Justin. Also, what's hard too is like maybe something, I mean, you hear these stories too. It's like, Maybe there was like some weird accident or like, mm-hmm. and and they didn't know what to do because let's be honest. Okay. Yeah. They might be of legal, like adult age, but their, their frontal lobe has not even finished developing. You know what I mean? They're 18 exactly. years old. They just graduated. You don't even know what your yep. life's going to be like then. Hell, I mean, sometimes I don't even know now, but um, full disclosure, but you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like at that point, I mean, it, anything could have happened where they, it's scary. That could have been, maybe it was something that was just accidental. That was scary. I'm not, again, not accusing anybody of anything. I don't know if the the friends had anything to do with anything. I mean. Exactly. We don't. But who knows what happened. And what's weird about the whole thing is, is that there's just no evidence, right? There's no answers. No answers. answers. I mean, my mind, my mind could swim all night trying to figure out what it could be. Yeah. And I could go, I could go down some rabbit hole. Oh, I've been thinking about this case for like a week. It's, it could be anything. The fact that there is like no trace, the the search dogs did not detect any trace of his scent. There was a search, but like volunteers, I think it was like 150 volunteers from the town came out in a big search party and searched the area. No one came up with anything. And it's just like, where did he go? What happened to him? At the end of the day, it's just really sad. Yeah. No matter which way you look at it, it's a tragedy. Yeah. And we've said it before. We're going to say it again. Someone knows something. And if you know something, say something. You can even do it anonymously. Yeah. Again, all of these people, all of the characters in this case are in their mid-30s now. And Joe's family deserves answers. They deserve closure. He had siblings. Someone knows something. And 
If you know something, think about how you would feel if you were in that position. Like think about your child. Think about your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your best friend. And suddenly that person just disappears. And the people who saw him last don't seem to have any information. Like that seems strange. And again, I'm not accusing anyone. But if you know something, you don't want that eating you for the rest of your life. You just don't. And I did say this before, but I'll say it again. I used to take the subway a lot, obviously, in New York. And they have this whole like push and movement and and saying, if you see something, say something. Because a lot of crazy shit happens in New York, especially mm-hmm. in the subways and um, I mean, now they everywhere. have everywhere, right? Everywhere, but everywhere. but I'm saying now they have like more cameras. But for a long time they didn't, and people were getting pushed, and people. I mean, it's it's cutthroat world out there, right? And it can be very scary. But that was one of the things, like, and it's stuck with me for so long now. If you see something, say something. Like, if you know something, say something. Mm-hmm. It's also karma, right? Some kind of energy you're putting out there, and, and the fact that like it seems like. Most of the people involved in this case in some way are all still kind of around the same area. And it's not a huge town. Like I couldn't really find if they were all like still friends or in, you know, contact Mm -hmm. or whatever. It didn't really seem that way. And I mean, I think, you know, some have moved to like a neighboring town or whatever. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I just think if I were in that friend group, I... I mean, again, we can't judge how someone grieves like we don't we've never been in that situation. I just think even if, you know, even if none of the friends know what happened, like it, he truly did just like drive a couple friends home and then boom, he's never seen again. Like someone out there maybe saw the car. Knows something more. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I could try to think about how that might be and you might not want to rehash that because you feel like you've been asked this. Sure. And it's kind of, it's, it's haunting you for your life or whatever. But the thing is, the friends were not asked. They were never questioned. So it's not like they've had uh, to retell the story. Rehash it. Okay. Yeah. Well that, Yeah. 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 So if you do have any information of what happened to Joe Pickler, You can contact the Bremerton Police Department at 360-473-5220 or call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. That's 1-800-843-5678. And we'll post all of that on the show notes. Uh, Or you can send us us. an email at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. Or social media. Take it away, Kale. Horrorwood podcast at all well, of the at things. Horrorwood. Yeah, at okay. And at Horrorwood. All right. Okay. 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 <laughs> fine. I butchered it. At Horrorwood podcast on all the socials except for Twitter, which is at Horrorwood pod. One other thing that I wanted to do to um, shift this conversation into because it is spooky season. Yes, we need to lighten it up. I was wanting to discuss kind of some costume ideas because oh, I don't know what to be this year. Originally, originally I came up with um, a costume last year. I had a serious knee injury for a year and so I was basically in a bed for a long time and 
had to have surgery yeah. and, and whatnot. So we have this annual um, event, like a carnival at my school every year. And so I wasn't, I had a, I had a sub and I wasn't able to really like do much, but my secretary got me. And so she wheeled me around for like an hour so I could see all my students dressed up because I, I mean, I was on medical leave, but, um, I had, I had the best last minute costume ever. And it like really can confirm because I have seen a picture um, of this and it's like, I'm going to show you again. But anyway, um, I was, I was Elliot from ET but I kept putting my, my little finger up and I was also on pain meds. So I was like, Oh no. And it kind of like <laughs> basically kind of made sense. Um, but anyway, that's what I was last year. And like, now I feel like I can't top that even though I do love Halloween and I love being clever on costumes and just having super fun with it. So I need some ideas. Please throw them at me. I, I mean, send her some ideas and you have to post that picture. I like will. I will. Cause the Instagram story. I wore, obviously I wore a wig, but, um, yeah, something fun, something clever. All right. So that is the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. And, uh, if you know something, say something. If you see something, say something. Or just say hello to us. We love you. We certainly we'll say do. hello back. That's right. All right. Marvelous misfits. That's our episode. Thank you.